back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. And for the next few months, we're going to focus particularly on delegates from this past synod to talk about what just happened and where we might be going in the future. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. We also want to say thank you to everyone who has sponsored us over on Patreon. We are slowly making our way toward our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. We've also created a Facebook page where we're putting out additional content, and we'd love for you to find us at facebook.com backslash the messy reformation and like our page for more updates. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode where Willie and I share some of our reflections on what just happened at this past synod and where we're going from here. I are going to be kicking off this next series of conversations reflecting on Synod. And so we decided that, uh, you know, for the last two years, really, all of our conversations have been in some way, shape, or form leading up to Synod 2022. And uh, we know there's a lot of curiosity about what happened and, and some of the conversations. And so we thought we would spend the next few months anyways interviewing delegates from Synod and talking about what happened and reflecting on what happened, and then also taking some opportunity to look forward to what steps we need to take and and how these decisions are being received in our congregations. And so Willie and I are going to start that off. I did think before we officially get into our conversation and just our reflections, I thought I would just kind of lay out the, the questions that we are going to be asking everyone. So if you're listening to this and you were a delegate at Synod, these are probably good questions for you to ask yourself and maybe start thinking about because, hey, I might be reaching out to talk to you. So mm-hmm. uh, so the six questions that we're going to be asking are just kind of introductory. What was your role at Synod 2022? Uh, what advisory committee did you serve on? Uh, and uh, maybe some of the conversations around that advisory committee that happened on the floor of Synod. Um, a second question, what did you learn about yourself and the CRC at Synod 2022? Um, what encouraged you at Synod? What discouraged you at Synod? Uh, how's your congregation responding to the decisions that were made at Synod? And then the final question is one that we're always asking, uh, looking to the future. Um, where do we go from here as a Christian Reformed Church? And what are some next steps that we need to be taking in our churches? So I want to just kick off. I'll ask Willie the first question. Willie, what was your role at Synod? And then what advisory committee did you serve on? Yeah, thanks. My role was a little bit different than the other delegates. 
I was a young adult representative who, as many people noted, is pretty decently out of the young adult range now. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, COVID had me grandfathered in. So by the grace of God, I was where I was. Uh, so that role is a little bit different. Young adult representatives and faculty advisors and um, I think ethnic advisors as well. We play a different role than actual delegates do. Uh, we're allowed to uh, speak on the Senate floor to whatever issue is being deliberated about. They do assign us to advisory committee meetings. Um, however, we, we don't have the power to do certain things like vote or speak in favor of or in opposition to the motions that are on the floor. So that was, that was my role. Uh, obviously, that was my role uh, in 2019 when I served at Synod, and that was my role again this year. Yes, and I, I want to dive into that a little bit more. Uh, what did, what's been your experience serving as a young adult uh, advisor um, rather than, I, I guess you've never served as a delegate, but do you feel that that's been a beneficial thing for the Christian Reformed Church to have young adult advisors at Synod? So that's actually a conversation that I've had with several people for the last couple of months now. And my answer is probably, yes, it's helpful, and no, it's not helpful. <laughs> um, yes, it's helpful because it does gain you a little bit more perspective as to what the upcoming generation is thinking about these matters, um, and it gives them opportunities to kind of peek in to uh, see how the sausage is made, for lack of better terminology. Uh, so those things are very good. and. Um, for those of us who are serving as young adult reps who might want to serve as delegates one day, it is helpful for us to see these things and to know the, the system and the procedures and everything that is synod. So in that sense, it is very helpful. On the other hand, when we get into the roles of young adult representatives and then advisors, um, be they ethnic advisors or faculty advisors, it gets a little muddy as exactly what our role is um, and how much are we actually a part of the deliberation process, what things can we do, what things may we not do. Um, it, it even enters the conversation, it, is it really helpful that we have these positions at all with so much ambiguity surrounding them? Um, so those have been good things to reflect on. And uh, my answer is still, I don't know. Um, personally, I, I think that uh, we, we function, we're supposed to be functioning as a Presbyterian form of government. So I believe these assemblies are, are probably better reserved for those who occupy the Presbytery, the eldership. Um, so anybody else who is entering into these roles um, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to open up this can of worms too much, but um, I think other people's presence there is a little bit more unclear and ambiguous, uh, given our reform polity as a whole. Yeah, and I would actually say though one of the one of the really encouraging things for me was um, actually quite a few of the delegates there were young adults, mm -hmm. and so there were there were a lot of younger people at this synod. And so I, I kind of kept wondering if we actually needed young adult representatives to be there for our young adult voice, because we're actually getting delegates who are young adults. And 
mm-hmm. a number of people actually pointed out that fact that um, there were a lot of younger people here, and they're wondering if there's a, a massive generational shift happening in the Christian Reformed Church now. And I suppose for for me, one of the encouraging things is that a lot of the younger guys, not all of them, but a lot of them, probably the majority of them, are all uh, conservative. And so, mm-hmm. and they're wanting to kind of toe the line on orthodoxy. And so um, part of what we're seeing, I think, happen in the Christian Reformed Church is this generational shift. And, uh, and so, yeah, I wonder if we need all these uh, representatives. Yeah, that's true. I'll take two points to that, actually. First and foremost, you're absolutely right. I was surprised by the amount of young delegates that there were at Synod. Uh, I noted, I think there were three, maybe even four delegates who served in, in any capacity that were younger than me <laughs> as a young adult representative. So that was, that was kind of surprising. And that was also very encouraging. Uh, it was also encouraging, as you said, to see them uh, willing to go to the bat and stand firm on orthodoxy um, and actually contend for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. So that was very encouraging. Um, on another note, uh, not just young adult representatives, but there were quite a few orthodox younger deacons at Synod too. And I thought they really had a very um, notable presence at Synod. I, I love the fact that those who occupy the office of the mercy ministry uh, were also very, very concerned about matters about biblical truth and how God has revealed himself in these matters. And that was very encouraging for me to see. Yeah. So what advisory committee were you on? Well, as you well know, I was on advisory committee number three, serving alongside of you. And that advisory committee was education and candidacy. And that is actually the same exact advisory committee that I was on again in 2019. So that was also very helpful. I had already had some previous context as to what was being expected in that meeting. So uh, I was kind of ready to see some of these things coming. Obviously, every year is different. There are going to be plenty of issues that overlap. You hear reports from the universities uh, from the seminary, and then we get to, you know, see presentations done by those people. Uh, and then also um, reviewing candidates. Uh, those things those things are pretty much done every single year in that advisory committee. And then, of course, there's other issues that we won't get into specifically that are dealt with um, on an kind of as-they-come basis. So um, it was similar but yet different. And, uh, and I, I obviously... From three years ago until now, I'm a little bit well-versed in church order and our church polity, and as well as synodical rules and procedures as far as what can happen in those meetings. So this year was was much better, and I was far more on my toes and prepared going into this than I was three years ago. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really interesting. I enjoyed being able to hear from the, the president of Calvin University and the president of Dort and the president of the seminary and and the director of candidacy and all of that stuff. It was really good to talk to them. And uh, one of the things I've found, one of the interesting things I found about the advisory committees in general, and I had this conversation with numerous people, is that the conversations that we have in the advisory committees, some of the disagreements and some of the tensions that we have in the advisory committees, end up working themselves out on the synod floor as well. And so um, that's a good thing, I've said, because it actually shows that the advisory committees are 
are a fairly solid representation of the of the broader body as well. And so uh, some of the concerns that came up on the floor of Synod were around uh, changing requirements at the seminary and changing requirements for candidacy regarding uh, preaching and biblical languages in particular. And so that was that was a concern that was voiced on the floor of Synod multiple times. We had a number of conversations about that, um, but it was also a conversation. We had a, an extensive conversation about that in our advisory committee as well. And so, yeah, I thought that that was uh, that was pretty interesting to see what happened in our advisory committee did happen out on the floor, and I thought that was I thought that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's that's very true, and. Even, you know, it's like you said, on the synod floor, the reporter uh, for these committees, uh, you know, they would hear a question from somebody on the floor of synod, and they would say, yep, that was talked about in our advisory committee, and that's why we decided to write the motion as this. Um, So, yeah, I I think you're exactly right. I really do think that these advisory committees, as a whole, by and large, do give us a better perspective as to uh, the temperature of the body. Um, for lack of better words. And then when things get to, uh, when they make it to the floor of Synod, then it does give us a better perspective as to what we're kind of in for. So I wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah. And another thing we got to do, which uh, I really enjoyed, was we got to be part of um, kind of the initial conversation with two new Calvin Seminary professors as -hmm. well. So we got to talk to them and question them in our advisory committee. And then uh, representatives of our advisory committee interviewed them on the floor of Synod. And so we had a new professor of Old Testament, Dr. Wilson Cunha. Mm-hmm. And then we got to interview Dr. Yuda Tianto, who's going to be a uh, history of Christianity and um, reformed creeds and confession. It's not reformed creeds. And he said historical theology. And mm-hmm. so, um, but it, but it's kind of creeds and confessions as well. And um, so we got to interview them ahead of time, and I really, I really enjoyed getting to talk to them as well. But um, what, what were you, some of your thoughts, especially, I guess we're not going to get into the advisory committee so much, but the conversation that happened on the floor of Synod that anybody can see on, on, the, on the live streams, what, what was your take on the interview with these two professors? On the floor of Synod specifically? Yeah. Yeah, I thought they both conducted themselves well. And uh, I, I'll be honest, I could listen to those two talk about their professional fields uh, until I'm in glory. Uh, I could be edified by them and sit under their teachings. Um, I, I very much see why they were their prospective candidates. Um, so th- that that really wasn't a surprise to me, especially um, Yuda Tianto. I mean, he went on and on and on about the subject of baptism forever. <laughs> and uh I, I love hearing him talk about, you know, this is something that God does, that God is active in. And he just has a very theocentric hermeneutic when it comes to interpreting these matters. So I think that was that was just very good for me to hear. Um, I, I, love being ref- uh, I love being reformed, and I love being reminded about why I'm reformed. Uh, so he did a very good job of that. And uh, as for Dr. Wilson Cunha, yeah, he was very sharp, very articulate, very well studied, and uh, as you can attest to, uh, very well versed and knowledgeable in Hebrew. Um, so, getting to hear him talk about these things, especially on the floor of synod, was very rewarding for me. I thought they conducted themselves well. 
I think by the time they got to the floor of synod, some of the things that were asked in advisory committees were well flushed out and ironed out, and they were able to give uh, some better fully orbed opinions on. Uh, so I was I was very impressed for the most part by by both of them. How about you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like uh, Willie already alluded to, um, I had Dr. Cunha for my Old Testament prophets course at the seminary. So he would he had come in as an adjunct professor, and I really really enjoyed the class. And um, he was known for pushing us in our Hebrew. In our in his class, we had to read the Hebrew in front of the class and even translate it into English on the fly. Which wow. even me being a I was a good Hebrew student. Um, was a struggle for me. And so, but it was a good process. It was really good for really understanding that. So I, I really appreciated Dr. Cunha and, uh, and yeah, even some of the concerns, there was a couple little concerns, not massive, but little concerns that had popped up in advisory committee. Those, those were cleared up um, by the time things came to sin, to the synod floor. And mm-hmm. so um, every, I, I, I think everybody was wholeheartedly excited to see Dr. Cunha come into the seminary as a new professor. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, Dr. Tianto too, he, he's very passionate, isn't he? I mean, he, he mm-hmm. is so passionate about church history and, and the confessions and he gets you excited about it as well. And so, and like you said, he, he's really well-versed. I mean, he's studied a ton on uh, Calvin and the doctrine of baptism and, and all of that. So that's what his doctoral thesis was. And and uh, so he he's, he knows a lot about baptism. He's got a beautiful understanding of the sign and the seal, that part of it of baptism, which is really good. But um, there was concerns about him, and I know there's a few people who are a little concerned about his response um, regarding human sexuality. And so because that was the big hot topic of this synod, mm-hmm. um, and uh, people are really wanting to make sure that we're taking a stand on this and that our professors are taking a stand on this. Uh, both professors were asked um, what their positions were on the topic of the human sexuality report in mm-hmm. particular. And Dr. Cunha did give a very concise and clear answer on this um, in favor of uh, what the human sexuality report taught. But uh, Dr. Tianto didn't give such a clear response, which was concerning to people. He didn't say he was against it, but his response was more along the lines of, um, I will obey the the decisions that this synod makes. And so that that had some people concerned. Um, you know, I, a number of people said, well, at least he has kind of publicly made a commitment that he's not going to teach against what we the decisions we just made. So that's a positive, but there was concerns about where he stands on that issue. And so um, but so, uh, apart from that, and that, and that is a concern, I think and we need to probably keep our eyes open for that. And, uh, as, as things move forward, but otherwise, yeah, we were pretty excited. Um, I, I was mostly excited for him to be a professor there. And so I hope, I hope, uh, I hope he follows his word on that. He doesn't teach against anything that were any of the decisions that we just made. Um, cause I think he could be a very solid asset at the, at the seminary. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can, I completely agree. Yeah. You already mentioned some of these already, but, but what were some of the things that, uh, what were some other things that were really encouraging to you throughout this past week of synod? Getting to reflect on this for the past few days, I have to say the most encouraging 
uh, thing at Synod, for me, um, aside from being in close fellowship with these brothers and sisters um, who do stand for orthodoxy, it was the fact that orthodoxy did prevail. Um, that, to me, was, was very encouraging. Um, these were very, I would say, emotionally hard decisions to make. I think biblically and intellectually, I think the answers are just right there in how God has spoken. Um, if we want to be presuppositionalists, then that, that has to be our, our axiom for where we start things. God has spoken. Um, but we understand that the delegates there, whether they be ministers or deacons or elders or commissioned pastors, um, they are leading their churches with LGBTQ people either in them or closely affiliated in them. And this has ramifications for how they're going to be um, doing ministry uh, to these people and how they're going to be uh, evangelizing these people. And it also had ramifications on the people that were sitting next to them, who they probably at some points disagreed with. Um, I know many of these people are even in classes together as colleagues, or maybe they were friends at one point, maybe they went to school, maybe they were roommates. Um, so that's where I would say no matter how emotionally hard it was, um, I remember, I, I think I heard Craig Hukuma say, uh, I, I have to I have to align myself with where God has spoken here. Um, and is like he said, I he loves to just go along to get along. I mean, <laughs> he's a very agreeable guy, but he said, I uh, this isn't an area where we can continue to agree to disagree anymore, and we can't not take a stance on this. So in my history in the CRC, I've seen a lot of kind of ambiguous decisions made when it comes to deciding things and taking definitive stances, I would say we were very clear and very definitive about what we believe as a denomination. So that to me was extremely encouraging and important. That's what I saw. Amen. Yeah. And I'll, yeah, I'll jump off of that and say, um, that was obviously that was one of the massively encouraging things coming out of Synod is uh, not only um, the clarity that we have, and we'll talk about um, the word clarity eventually, because um, that's <laughs> come up as kind of a bad word now. Um, but but I, I think it's a positive thing, obviously. I spoke to that multiple times from the floor on the importance of clarity. And uh, I'm encouraged. And And what really, really encourages me was the substantial votes. Um, in favor of all of these different orthodox uh, positions. I, I said this in um, the quick reflections I we put out last week, um, that there were kind of four areas, right? I've been spending the last two years talking to pastors, and uh, there were four things that every people were concerned about, penal substitutionary atonement, the human sexuality report, making the teachings of the secu sexuality report, giving them or anyway, giving them or pronouncing that they have confessional status, mm -hmm. and then um, taking disciplinary action on uh, Neeland Avenue. And then I would say in the future, other churches who are teaching and acting against that, you know, those were the four big ones. And mm -hmm. all four of those passed with super majority votes. 
mm-hmm. which means over a two thirds approval. And I think most of them were in the 70 to 75% approval. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is, that gives me so much hope. And uh, that's so encouraging for me. If they would have all been like 52, 53% wins or anything like that, that would have been um, really tough and discouraging. But the fact that they were so substantial shows that um, this is where we're at as a denomination. And so that was, that was highly, highly encouraging to me. And then, uh, yeah, and I'll put an, I'll put the, um, I'll speak to what you said too. I was highly encouraged just by the, by the conversations and the fellowship I was able to have, uh, throughout my time at Synod. I, I said this multiple times, but, um, you know, many of these men I've interviewed on men and women and delegates I've, I interviewed on this podcast. And so I've talked to them digitally, mm-hmm. but haven't got to meet them face to face and sit down and have a meal with them and just talk with them. And, uh, it was so encouraging to finally put flesh on the bones of these digital people I've been connecting with. And so I, I walked away just feeling, I've walked away feeling so encouraged. I, I was expecting to walk away from Synod completely drained and wiped out and weary and exhausted. And I didn't really walk away that way. I'm, I was tired. It was a, a lot of work. It was a busy work week. And I took the weekend off to, to get away camping with my family. But, but I, feel, I feel pretty good today. I feel like I'm recovered and ready to go. And I think a huge part of that was the fellowship that we had there. And I, I was just really encouraged. I felt like I had a lot of other uh, delegates walking alongside me, carrying my burdens. Uh, throughout the week. And uh, I'd also say one of the other really encouraging things for me um, was uh, answered prayer. I think Mm -hmm. so many people have been praying, have been praying leading up to this synod. I know uh, many of the listeners to this podcast and their churches were praying throughout synod, uh, lifting us up in prayer. And it was encouraging to see those prayers answered in many different ways. Again, the peace and the comfort and the strength that we had during the week. And, and uh, like I mentioned on last week's podcast, um, it was encouraging to see the Holy Spirit working amongst the delegates themselves. That when, uh, you know, I had a couple moments where I felt a nudge from the Spirit thinking, all right, we need to, we need to do something different, right? And so I would go to talk to another delegate about that thing and get their advice. And then they would say, Hey, I'm feeling like we need to do this. And they would already have that nudge from the spirit. And then I go talk to another delegate and they would have had that same nudge. And so the -hmm. spirit was really working, um, bringing unity and, uh, and clarity again for us as we were uh, deliberating and making decisions. And so it's encouraging to know that because that gives me just an extra level of confidence that uh, the Lord's at work and was at work through synod. And these decisions that we made um, again, like acts 15, we can say they seemed good to us and to the Holy spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Some of the, uh, some of the decisiveness as far as uh, the numbers of people who voted in favor of orthodoxy. I mean, that surprised me too. Um, I, I want to say that the majority report for the HSR passed with, yeah, about 74, 75%. So it was, it was a three to one. Uh, and then confessional status passed with two to one, I believe, or just slightly over. 
Uh, so those those statistics really encouraged me um, personally. I, I I was I was very surprised, as you said, the spirit was working. Uh, he was he was very powerfully at work, and something that I did normally the young adult reps are seated um, at one table on the floor of synod, which was good. Uh, however, I decided to sit in the back uh, for a few sessions just so I could see uh, everything that was going on uh, and just read the room a little bit and then just kind of see how people were being convicted. Um, that was actually very good to get, I don't know, a better vantage point, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, for sure. So seeing that happen from um, from just a little bit more of an elevated position, I was like, wow, um, the Lord is doing very powerful things and he is continuing to build his church um, even in the midst of disagreements and dissension. So I was very encouraged by that. Yeah. I was also encouraged just, um, by the spirit that was in the conversations, even in disagreement, mm-hmm. I would say for the most part, um, we were able to, I, I felt like we were able to speak the truth in love. Um, uh, we were able to disagree agreeably would be another way to say that. And uh, even though we had strong disagreement in some places with, you know, the 25% that voted against the human sexuality report and all of that, um, we were still able to speak to each other in love and grace. And I thought that was, that was really good. I I was surprised at how, um, how good those conversations actually were. Um, It wasn't yelling and screaming at each other. It wasn't, calling names. Now that happened a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I mean, 95% of the conversations were really good. And so I was, I was impressed by the way we were able to disagree, um, but to do so with grace and truth. Mm -hmm. Yep. I completely agree with that. And like I said, being at Synod before and also watching previous synods. I mean, you can just go online and Google whatever year of synod you want to that they have available. Um, and you can actually see this process uh, being played out. So I, I, I agree with you. 95% was, was very civil. Um, and yeah, I, I, I was impressed by that. So what, what were some of the things that uh, you found discouraging at synod or even following out of synod well i should go ahead and just speak to what happened at synod first um i think a couple of things that discouraged me first was just um i i want to be careful how i word this because i want to represent people rightly um i was discouraged to see so much hostility in some areas towards genuine orthodoxy. Um, Even in some of the illustrations that people gave, you know, well, you're technically right, but uh, I mean, hearing things, hearing things like that, I think were, were very discouraging for me to hear Um, just, you know, general, general disagreements and I, I would say a revisionist interpretation of scripture. Um, it, it's, it's like I said, as reformed presuppositionalists, if we believe God has spoken exhaustively, infallibly, and sufficiently, 
then we understand that these extra testimonies that we are hearing, you know, however helpful in gaining context and being able to use those to minister to people, those are not on par with and equal to the Word of God itself. And to hear a lot of those arguments come up on the floor of Synod as people's basis for voting why they, how they voted, that was very discouraging to me. Even when some of these people are, are trained ministers of the Word, um, who have, you know, master's degrees and uh, or or better in these areas. So that was very discouraging for me to hear. And and there was, you know, as was being alluded to, um, conduct from a couple of people um, that was, I think, very out of order and very out of line. And that I, I wish there could have been a little bit more professionalism especially on the floor of synod, because you're not just, you, you're addressing the chair, but also you're speaking in front of the body, and then you're being live streamed, and that is that is literally going out all over the world. Uh, so t- for somebody to conduct themselves in a manner that is unprofessional um, was very discouraging for me to see and to hear. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that too. And so, yeah, while 95% of the, the deliberations was done really well um and graciously um yeah there were five percent and i and i would actually say um it wasn't on i don't know picking sides is never the the best way but if you're going to pick sides on this there there were people on both sides that 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 misspoke and said things that i was like all right you shouldn't have done that you should have kept you should have been quiet that wasn't okay and so so there there was a little bit of that but um, and that was discouraging. One of the one of the huge discouraging things for me um, was uh, one of the words. So I was I was uh, so I've been criticized in kind of roundabout ways um, for being. Or, the or I mean, guy? yeah, for being the clarity guy because <laughs> I did say that word numerous almost every time that I spoke, probably from the floor of synod. And so there have been comments not directed directly at me, but at how Synod had um, held, um, or the Christian Reformed Church has an idol of clarity. And, uh, and so um, from those who are really unhappy with our decisions. And so that's, I think that's, that's just discouraging to me that that anybody would think that clarity is a bad thing. That just, uh, that just throws me off. And that was what I kept trying to speak to that clarity actually is helpful for pastoral guidance it's not just a doctrine it's not that we just want to be right um, but we need clarity on how to shepherd our people we need to show them the path toward righteousness or like i said from the floor um, we need to be able to show people how to live into the wholehearted joy in god through christ and uh, if we don't have clarity we can't show them how to how to walk into that so that that was discouraging also I was discouraged. Another word that I found myself saying quite often was uh, tone deaf. Yeah. That there was, there was a tone deafness um, coming out of delegates, but not just delegates, even just denominational representatives who I think are probably even orthodox on these positions, but they were just tone deaf to some of the things that they were saying. And so I heard I heard people say that uh, we can't ask, we can't ask these professors what their position is on the human sexuality report, 
We just have to ask them whether they would abide by whatever decision that the Christian Reformed Church makes. Right. And for me, I thought that is a tone-deaf reasoning. That's tone-deaf. Um, there's, there's no conservative in the CRC that thinks, yeah, that's a great way to ask the question. That There's no conservative that's going to be happy with a professor or, or anybody saying, yeah, I'll go either way. If, if they vote to, if the church votes to be completely affirming, I'll, I'll do that. And if the church votes to, to not be affirming, I'll do that. I'm fine either way, because that just shows a lack of conviction. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week to hear part two of Willie and I's conversation about this last synod. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.